ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whomever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whomever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to begin our talk this evening, the 11th and series of lectures concerning the explanation of usul as-sunnah, the foundations or the fundamentals of the sunnah by Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal Rahimahullah May Allah have mercy on him He begins his risala By stating that Usul al-Sunnah indana At-tamassaku bima kana alayhi Ashabu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama Wal-iqtida'u bihim He said that the fundamentals of the Sunnah with us Is holding fast to what the companions Of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Were upon taking them and their way as a model to be followed. And he goes on, after mentioning some fundamental principles about following the way of the companions and abandoning innovation, and he says, وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ اللَّازِمَةِ أَلَّتِي مَنْ تَرَكَ مِنْهَا خَفْلَةً لَمْ يَقْبَلْهَا وَيُؤْمِنْ بِهَا لَمْ يَكُنْ مِنْ أَهْلِهَا That, and from those obligatory or binding or necessary aspects of the sunnah or of the religion of Islam, those things which whoever leaves even a single matter from it has not accepted it in its totality or has not believed in it, then he is not of its people. He is not of the people of sunnah. He mentions from amongst those things the belief in al-qadr, khayrihi, wa sharrihi, and he mentions uh, the seeing of Allah on the day of resurrection, and that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, and so many other matters which we have discussed and given some explanation in the previous ten lectures. This evening we would like to uh, mention the final, or some of the final points, inshallah, in this lecture, and the lecture to come, bismillah, we will conclude this essay concerning the fundamentals or the foundations of the Islamic Create uh, the Islamic Aqidah or the way of the Prophet and his companions. And Imam Ahmed says in the points that we want to discuss this evening, وَالرَّجُمُ حَقٌ عَلَى مَنْ زَنَى وَقَدْ أُحْسِنَى إِذَا اِعْطَرَفَ أَوْ قَامَتْ عَلَيْهِ بَيِّنَى That stoning to death and he's stoning the person uh, as a penalty for the crime of zina, it is something that is haqqun, it is true, it is correct, it is a necessary matter, 
it is the rightful due of the one who has fortified himself with marriage, the one who has uh, been married. Either when he or she admits to this act of zina, illegal or unlawful sexual intercourse, either the person confessed to it or the evidence is established against him or her. Yani stoning is a legal penalty in Islam in the case of the person who has been married and who commits unlawful or illegal sexual intercourse. If either they confess to such an act or evidence has been clearly presented against them. He goes on to say, وَقَدْ رَجَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَقَدْ رَجَمَتْ الْأَئِمَّةُ الرَّاشِدُونَ The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed the act of stoning to death or enacted the penalty of stoning and the rightly guided leaders, the Khalifas, those who came after him, they also enacted this penalty of stoning to death. It is mentioned in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari that Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa was asked, Hal Rajama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama did the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam perform or enact the penalty of stoning on anyone? He said, Naam. Qultu qabla suratun nur aw ba'daha. The narrator asked him, did he enact this penalty before the revelation of Surah An-Nur, the 24th chapter of the Qur'an, or after the revelation of Surah An-Nur? Abdullah ibn Abi Awf radiallahu anhu, he said, La adri, I don't know. The significance of this question is that Surah An-Nur, in it is revealed the ayah in chapter 24, verse 2, Surah An-Nur, tu wazzani. فَجْلِدُوا كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمَا مِيَةَ جَلْدَ The women and the men guilty of illegal sexual intercourse, they should be lashed or whipped 100 times for such an act. So the question, if this stoning took place before the revelation of this ayah, then some misguided people try to claim that the penalty for a zina, fornication, or adultery or illegal sexual intercourse, that the penalty is only 100 lashes and not stoning. But in fact, the revelation of Surah An-Nur actually is before, is before. It had already been revealed when these incidents of stoning in the time of the Prophet ﷺ took place. Since we know that Surah An-Nur was revealed in the fourth or according to some scholars, the fifth or sixth year after the hijrah. And the narrator of one of the hadith about stoning, that is Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he only became a Muslim in the seventh year after the hijrah. And he witnessed stoning, which proves that stoning took place after the revelation of Surah An-Nur. And not only that, but Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, him and his father, he came with his mother, performing the hijrah from Mecca to Medina in the ninth year of the hijrah, and he also narrated incidents of the performance or the enactment of the penalty of stoning, which shows that stoning took place after the revelation of Surah An-Nur so many years after.
not before. Uh, also, not only in the time of the Prophet ﷺ did stoning take place, as recorded in Al-Bukhari, on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, who said that a man from the tribe of Aslam came to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama فحدثه أنه قد دنا He informed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he had committed dina illegal sexual intercourse فشاهد على نفسه أربع شهادات and he testified or bore witness against himself four times فأمر به رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فرجم وكان قد أحسنا Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ordered that he be stoned and that person uh, was stoned and he had been a person who had been in marriage he had been married this hadith is reported by al-imam al-bukhari rahimahullah and also the hadith also reported in bukhari after the time of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, he said that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, while he was sitting on the minbar of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Inna Allah qad ba'atha Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bilhaq. That verily Allah has sent or missioned Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the truth. Wa anzala alayhi al-kitab. And he, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, revealed to his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-kitab, al-Qur'an. وَكَانَ مِمَّا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَةُ الرَّجْمِ And from amongst those things, or that which had been revealed to him, was the verse or the ayah of stoning. قَرَأْنَاهَا وَوَعَيْنَاهَا وَعَقَلْنَاهَا فَرَجَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَرَجَمْنَا he said, we read the ayah of stoning, the verse of stoning in the Qur'an. We memorized it. We understood it. And the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, enacted stoning. And we also enacted it after him. That is, this is the word, these are the words of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, the second khalifa, or the second leader of the Muslims, after the passing of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this, these hadith which are authentic, recorded by Imam al-Bukhari, show that stoning took place in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and after the revelation of Surah An-Nur, and also in the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, the rightly guided leaders of the Muslims after the Prophet ﷺ. Even in the time of Ali, radiallahu anhu, the fourth of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, it is reported in al-Bukhari also that at the time when Ali had a woman stoned on Yawmul Jum'ah, he said, Rajamtuha bi sunnati Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That we have stoned her in accordance with the sunnah or the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari. The Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Jibreen, Hafizahullah, in his summary of this point, he says that stoning means the stoning of the one who commits illegal sexual intercourse who has been married. 
that one who committed this zina after they were married in the Islamically legal way of marriage, yani zawajan shar'iyan, the zawaj that is legally accepted in Islam. And then that person, after performing such a marriage contract, actually lived with that woman and consummated the marriage. Such a person, in their case, if they committed zina after that, then it is established and confirmed in Islam, in the sunnah, which has been reported in so many, in numerous narrations of hadith such that whoever denies it, that person has denied a sunnah which is well known and apparent. And those who denied such were the khawarij who we spoke about in the past lecture, those people who approved of or considered legal the rebellion and fighting against the legitimate Muslim rulers and they also considered whoever committed the major sin from amongst the Muslims as being a kafir, that that takes him out of Islam. So they also denied stoning as a legal punishment in Islam, and they said, we only practice that which came in the Qur'an. They said, stoning is not mentioned in the Qur'an. But as we already mentioned, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu made it clear that of those things that were revealed in the Qur'an to the Prophet wasallam is the ayah of Ar-Rajm, stoning. He said that we used to read it and we understood it and we memorized it and so on. And it was implemented by the Prophet wasallam and implemented by those leaders of the Muslims who came after him. Then the Shaykh says, this ayah of stoning, it is of those things of the Qur'an whose wording was abrogated. It was removed from the Qur'an, but its meaning and its implementation remains intact. This is of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that a person should be stoned to death. If clear proofs have been proven against them or they confess to illegal sexual intercourse by confessing four times and they remain on that confession until the punishment had been performed against them. This is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. This is what Allah has revealed in the Qur'an and it was implemented by the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. Whoever denies such, they have denied the sunnah, they have denied the way of the Prophet ﷺ and they have shown themselves to be of the deviators. Even in this time we found that there are some people who have denied it those people who some call Qur'aniyun, but we don't call them such because this is an honor to be called the people of Qur'an. And in fact, this expression is not legitimately applicable to them since whoever can be considered of the people of Qur'an are those people who implement the Qur'an and to implement the Qur'an means to implement the Sunnah because the Qur'an orders us to follow the Prophet wasallam. But those people, in any case, they said we believe in the Qur'an, only the Qur'an and nothing but the Qur'an. And so they also denied so many things amongst them, the legal punishment of stoning, which is a part of Islam. Even if some of the so-called modernists or intellectuals consider it to be backward or a savage act or whatever they may look at, uh, look at it as being, but it is a part of Islam as it was revealed in the Qur'an and implemented by the last of the messengers of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
The next point that Imam Ahmed turns to is a very important point. We have touched on it in our discussions about the Sahaba in previous points from the essay of Usul Sunnah. It is related to those who speak evilly or ill or say bad things against the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Imam Ahmed rahimahullah says, وَمَنْ إِنْتَقَصَ أَحَدًا وَوَاحِدًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَوْ أَبْغَضَهُ بِحَدَةٍ أَوْ لِحَدَةٍ كَانَ مِنْهُ أَوْ ذَكَرَ مَسَاوِيَهُ كَانَ مُبْتَدِعًا حَتَّى يَتَرَحَّمَ عَلَيْهِمْ جَمِيعًا وَيَكُونَ قَلْبُهُ لَهُمْ سَلِيمًا That whoever speaks badly or says bad things against any one of the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or hates them or dislikes them for any act that proceeded from them and whoever mentions their shortcomings or their faults, then that person is considered as an innovator until he supplicates for the mercy of Allah upon every one of them sincerely and that his heart is sincere and pure in the way he looks at or feels about the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whatever may have happened from them, we know that it is not for us to judge. Allah is the judge. And Allah said in the Quran, in Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 117, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم لقد تاب الله على النبي والمهاجرين والأنصار الذين اتبعوه في ساعة العسرة That certainly Allah has turned in repentance to the Prophet ﷺ and to the Muhajireen, those who migrated from Mecca to Medina, and to the Ansar, those who helped them, the people of Medina who believed in the Prophet ﷺ and helped them to establish themselves in Medina, and those who يعني, followed him from amongst them, those who followed the Prophet ﷺ that is in the time of distress, that was at the time of the Tabuk expedition. لَقَدْ تَابَ اللَّهُ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Allah, He has definitely turned in repentance to His Prophet and to the Muhajireen and the Ansar. That is the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Hashr, verse 10, chapter 59, وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ Those who come after them, that is after the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they say, رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَ بِالْإِيمَانِ They said, O oh Allah, forgive us and our brothers who were preceding us, those who preceded us with Iman, and those who preceded us first and foremost are the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ and, O oh Allah, don't make in our hearts, or don't allow there to be in our hearts any hatred or bad feeling for those who believe. O oh Allah, verily you are the one who is Ar-Ra'uf Ar-Rahim, the compassionate and the merciful. This makes us to know what is the position of the true believers towards those who preceded them in, in Iman, and first and foremost of them are the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
how could it be that people could hate them, could dislike them, or speak evil of them? And the Prophet said in the hadith recorded in Sahihain al-Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, لا تصب أصحابي لا تصب أصحابي Don't curse or say bad words against my companions. Don't say bad words against my companions. فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِ بِيَدِهِ لَوْ أَنْفَقَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِثْلَ أُحُدٍ ذَهَبًا مَا بَلَغَ مُدَّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيفَهُ I swear by the one in whose hand is my life, if any one of you, that is the people who came later, were to spend in gold that which is equal to the mountain of Uhud, it wouldn't be equal to one handful of what his companions gave, or not even a half of a handful of what they gave in charity. This shows the superiority of the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the command or the prohibition from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to speak ill of them. So if this became known to us, then it should be clear. Of what should be clear to us is the evil and the misguided position of the Rawafida or the Rafida, those people who are known today as the Shia how they have deviated and slipped from the path to the extent that not only they find fault with the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, but they speak ill of them, they curse them, and their hearts are filled with hatred and rancor. And these people, these Rafida, known today as the Shia, those people don't believe that anyone has the right to the Khilafah or Imara, the leadership of the Muslims, except those from the family of Ali, radiallahu anhu, which means that they denied Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Umar ibn al-Khattab, and Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anhu, ajma'een, who are considered by consensus of the Muslim ummah, by consensus of the companions of the Prophet wasallam, to be the best of this ummah, starting with Abu Bakr, and then Umar, and then Uthman, and then Ali. Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, he said, ma ra'aytu fil-ahwa qawman ashhada bil-zur, من الرافضة الإمام الشافعي may Allah have mercy on him he said I haven't seen any people of the people of desire the people who follow their own feelings and desires who reject the evidence of the Quran and the Sunnah in the correct way he said I didn't see any people of these people of desires who are worse in evil and lying and deceit and falsehood than the Rafidah they are the worst of them all and it is also reported that Utbah ibn Abdullah al-Hamdani al-Qadi there was a man in his presence who mentioned Aisha radiallahu anha the wife of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in an evil way Utbah ibn Abdullah he said ya gulam udrub unakahu cut his neck kill him then the people the Alawiyun, they said to him, this man is from our people. فَقَالَ أُتْبَى إِبْنِ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ مَعَاذَ اللَّهِ هَذَا رَجُلُ فَعَنَا عَلَىٰ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ He said, this man, he has actually spoke evil of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, الخبيثات للخبيثين والخبيثون للخبيثات والطيبات للطيبين والطيبون للطيبات أولئك مبرعون مما يقولون لهم مغفرة ورزق كريم 
Allah said in the Quran, in Surah An-Nur, verse 26, that the evil and filthy women are for the evil and filthy men. And the evil and filthy men are for the evil and filthy women. And the good women are for the good men, and the good men are for the good women. These, they are free from what is those people say, and for them is forgiveness and an honorable sustenance. That means the paradise. So, Utbah, he said, if Aisha, radiallahu anha, was, as this man says, evil and vile, khabitha, then that means that her husband should be likewise. This man is a kafir. Strike his neck, strike his neck. The penalty of death for speaking against the wife of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we know that these people they said so many evil things not only against Abu Bakr and Umar but against the companions in general and even they didn't let rest the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam how is it that people can call for making nearness or togetherness talking and meeting and coming together between the people of Sunnah and the people of Shia how can it be if we know that these people have taken such a position and that they believe and they feel about the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as they feel. The Shaykh Abdullah ibn al-Jibreen, Hafizahullah, in his summary of this point, he reminds us that those who speak against even one of the companions evilly or find fault with them or mention their shortcomings or any such action, these people are considered as people who innovated and went beyond the bounds. They transgressed the bounds of the companions of the uh, that which is legal. They transgressed the legal bounds against the companions of the Prophet There's no doubt that some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ have in some of their ijtihad, yeah, and sometimes when they made ijtihad, they might have made a wrong decision in a matter. Out of ijtihad, trying to reach the right decision, they may have missed the mark. And these Rafida Shia people spoke against them for such and considered this as part of their evilness. Yeah, they considered this to be evil coming from the companions of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah in his famous book of Islamic Aqeedah Al-Aqeedah Al-Wasatiyah he discussed this point in length. Let us just summarize a little of what he said. He said that another of the principles of the Ahl Sunnah is that of showing respect and affection with the heart and the tongue to the companions of the Prophet Additionally, obedience to the Prophet requires the bestowal of respect upon the companions. As we already mentioned, the Prophet said, don't speak evil against my companions. He goes on to say that the Ahl Sunnah love the Prophet family and make them the object of respect including his wives. And he goes on to say in another point that the Ahl Sunnah have full respect for the wives of the Prophet as the mothers of the faithful, Ummahatul Mu'mineen. 
and they believe that they will be the wives of the Prophet not only in this world but in the next life. Finally, he says, the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah declare themselves free of the way of the Rawafid, the Shia, who despise the companions and curse them. And we also oppose the way of those people who speak harshly against the Prophet's family, the Ahl Bayt, who claim to be followers, those people who claim to be on the side of Muawiyah, radiallahu anhu, and they spoke harshly against the Ahl Bayt, the family of the Prophet, Also, the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah refrained from getting involved in the disagreements that occurred between the companions. We are convinced that the report concerning the sins of the companions contain lies, false interpretations and distortions of what originally happened. The correct position in those matters is that the companions are to be excused. Either as ones who strove for the truth, they made ijtihad, but did not always reach the mark. They were not always correct in their ijtihad. Uh, we do not believe that even that every single one of the companions are immune from major or minor sins. Indeed, they were capable of sin in principle. They are capable of sin. They are human beings. However, because of their precedence in Islam, they were the first to believe. And their excellence and virtues, they were the best of this ummah. Their sins were forgiven for this reason to a degree that it is not possible for those who came after them to be forgiven. If they committed a sin... When they committed a sin, they repented. Or their sins were expiated through their good deeds. Or they were forgiven due to their precedence or being the first of the people to come to Islam. The deeds in respect of which some of them might be criticized are extremely few in comparison to their deeds, meaning their iman in Allah and His Messenger, their jihad fighting in the way of Allah, their hijra migration with the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they're giving support to him and they're seeking the beneficial knowledge and righteous deeds. They are the best of men after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And there never was, nor ever will there be men equal or comparable to them. And we believe that they constitute the leaders, the best of all generations of this community, which is the best of the ummah, of the prophets of the past. This is the end of uh, the statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and this should make us to know what our position should be towards the companions of the Prophet wasallam. all of them, without any exception, the least of them, or the first of them, those who were closest to the Messenger of Allah wasallam. And even those who only saw him once, or only saw him from far, but they believed in him, and they witnessed him during his life, and they died as Muslims. They are all considered to be of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and our position towards them is very clear. And those who oppose them, who speak ill of them, or who hate them, also our position towards them should be clear. Al-Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, continues, on to the next point, and he says, وَالنِّفَاقُ هُوَ الْقُفْرُ أَنْ يَقْفُرَ بِاللَّهِ وَيَعْبُدَ غَيْرَهُ And hypocrisy, it is disbelief, that a person disbelieves in Allah and worships other than Allah inwardly, but he manifests 
ويظهر الإسلام في العلانية هي نانفست إسلام أوبنلي مثل المنافقين الذين كانوا على أحد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم like those hypocrites who were in the time of the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم this nifaq that Imam Ahmed is talking about here he says this nifaq it is kufr it is actually disbelief this hypocrite the one who outwardly displays Islam but inwardly disbelieves in Allah and worships other than Allah this person is none other than a kafir he is none other than a, than a, none other than a kafir and the proof of this is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 145 that verily the munafiqeen the hypocrites will be in the lowest level of the hellfire the lowest while others of the kafirs might be in a least punishment of the fire, those who would be in the lowest level are the munafiqun, that is, the disbelievers who are hypocrites, who profess Islam, while inwardly they are disbelievers and they disbelieve in Allah. This type, uh, this type of hypocrisy or nifaq, it is an nifaq al-irtiqadi. It is an nifaq al-irtiqadi. That means it is hypocrisy in belief. The person who is who, who disbelieves in Allah, as opposed to an nifaq al-amali, which means that the person may do the deeds or the actions or may say words or speech that resemble the speech or the actions of the hypocrites or disbelievers. Sheikh Abdurrahman Ibn al-Jibreen, Hafizahullah, he also discussed this point of an nifaq that it is kufr, and he says, the hypocrite is the one who shows Islam, but he hides his kufr, disbelief. They are those who, when they meet those who believe, they say, Amenna, we believe. But when they are alone with their shayateen, with the disbelievers, they say, Inna ma'akum, inna nahnu mustahziyoon. They say, verily, to the shayateen and the disbelievers when they are alone with them, far away from the believers, they say, we are with you. We were only making mockery. They are those who say with their tongues what is not in their hearts. These are the munafiqun. No matter even if they said such to hide their true belief, they are considered to be of the munafiqun. Because these people do this thing only so that they could have safety and security amongst the believers and also have safety and security amongst the disbelievers. And Allah said about them in the Quran, الَّذِينَ يَتَرَبَّسُونَ بِكُمْ فَإِنْ كَانَ لَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ قَالُوا أَلَمْ مَعَكُمْ Those who just wait around with you. And if they see that you get a victory from Allah, they say, weren't we with you? Give us some of the spoils of war. We are with you. وَإِنْ كَانَ but if the disbelievers are the one who get the upper hand, that is if the disbelievers get a victory over the believers, then they say, didn't we protect you and prevent the believers from causing harm to you? So they are with the believers openly, but they are with the disbelievers in their hearts inwardly. This is the origin of an nifaq or hypocrisy. 
And this nifaq, he says, is called al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi. That is, al-nifaq al-i'tiqadi, it means the hypocrisy of belief, the root of the belief or the faith of the person. That person really is a disbeliever in reality, though they show uh, belief openly. As for al-nifaq al-amali, that is, hypocrisy indeed, then that is what is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where he mentioned the signs or the characteristics of the hypocrite are such and such and so and so. These things are nifaq amali, yani hypocrisy indeed. But they are also signs. They are signs also of the nifaq al-hatiqadi. They are signs which are similar to those people who have true hypocrisy in their hearts, who really disbelieve even though they show belief. These signs. Al-Imam Ahmed mentions some of these signs and he says the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man kunna fihi munafiq that there are three things whoever uh, whoever has these characteristics is a hypocrite. This hadith has been reported in uh, Al-Bukhari and also Muslim and the actual wording of the hadith as reported from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, is ayatul munafiqi thalata, or thalatun, idha haddatha kathaba, wa idha wa'ada akhlafa, wa idha tumina khana. That the signs of a hypocrite are three. Whenever he speaks, he lies. If he promises, he makes a promise. And when he is entrusted with something, he violates that trust. So these are the signs of hypocrisy. And these signs are actions that a person does. This is the hypocrisy of actions that is mentioned in this hadith and also in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he said, Arba'un man kunna fihi kana munafiqan khalifan that there are four characteristics whoever finds those four characteristics in him then he is a pure hypocrite. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خُسْلَةٌ مِنْهُنَّ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خُسْلَةٌ مِنَ النِّفَاقِ and whoever has any one of these characteristics, then he has the characteristic of hypocrisy, hatta yada'aha, until he gives up that thing. إِذَا تُمِنَ خَانَ وَإِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبَ وَإِذَا عَاهَدَ غَدَرَ وَإِذَا قَاسَمَ خَاسَمَ فَجَرَ That is, those signs are whenever he is entrusted with something, he violates it. And when he speaks, he lies. And when he makes a covenant, he is treacherous to it, he doesn't keep it. And when he quarrels with someone, he becomes evil and insulting. These are actions that are actions or signs of hypocrisy. They are dealing with an-nifaq al-amali or the hypocrisy of actions. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, in his book, The Explanation of Al-Bukhari, Fat al-Bari, he quotes from Imam al-Nawawi, Rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy upon them all, he said, a group from amongst the scholars have considered this to be a difficult or problematic hadith, in that these characteristics can be found even altogether in a Muslim, but without there being a ruling of disbelief over him. It's possible that we might find a Muslim who does all of these things, and still in all, we don't declare him to be a kafir. He said, and there's no ambivalent, there's no any, uh, Unclarity in this hadith, rather its meaning is correct. That which has been said by those 
who have examined the hadith is its meaning is that these are the characteristics of hypocrisy and that one, the one who possesses them resembles the hypocrite with respect to these characteristics being molded and shaped by their characteristics. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani he differs with Imam Nawawi after mentioning the statement of Imam Nawawi and he said I say that the result of this explanation, the explanation of Imam Nawawi and those who agreed with him, is that it conveys the meaning of a person, it conveys the naming of a person with a hypocrite as being metaphorical. Yani that it's not in reality that he's a hypocrite, but only uh, this is a metaphorical expression. That is, the one possessing these characteristics is like a hypocrite. And this explanation is built or based upon the assumption that the intent behind hypocrisy here in this hadith and similar hadith is the hypocrisy of kufr, yani the one, this hypocrisy of the one who is really a kafir, yani the one who openly shows Islam but inwardly hides his disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Al-Hafiz says, it has also been said as an answer to this that the intent behind hypocrisy in this hadith is not hypocrisy of i'tiqad or unbelief, but it is hypocrisy of action. And that is what Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah, has chosen and preferred as the correct opinion. And he used as evidence the saying of Umar, radiallahu anhu, to Hudayfa, radiallahu anhu, he said, do you know of anything from hypocrisy in me? Not meaning disbelief, but the actions or characteristics of hypocrisy. Here he did not mean the hypocrisy of disbelief, but he meant hypocrisy in actions that is al-amali some of the other scholars said that there are different opinions about this one of them is that uh, this is talking about the one who disbelieves or is ungrateful for Allah's favor and another is that it is only an expression of intensification yani it is an expression that's used to make the person feel the seriousness of this matter to instill fear in him and another opinion is that this refers to the people who apostated, who left Islam, who originally believed and then they disbelieved afterwards. One of the scholars, Abu Ubaid, he said he didn't accept any of these opinions and his opinion was that this uh, is really refers to the negation of true and real faith or the negation of perfect faith or sincerity in that faith. So he said that... Uh, Indeed, they are mentioned in the sense that these actions are from among the manners and ways that the disbelievers and pagans are upon. Yani the ways or the actions of the disbelievers. In any case, we can see from this hadith that it is certainly a warning and Imam Ahmed agrees uh, with one of those opinions. He says that this hadith That is, that this the meaning of this hadith, it's meant to be يعني, a stern warning against the person possessing any of these characteristics that are considered to be the characteristics of the hypocrite. In any case, he said, But we married these hadith just as they came. We don't uh, give them any other meaning, but we married them as they came. We don't explain them from ourselves. And we should uh, take this position as we mentioned before the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that uh, the, about the salat al-ahda alladhi 
بيننا وبينهم الصلاة فمن تركها فقد كفر there is the covenant that is between us and them is salat whoever abandons it then he has disbelieved we should narrate such hadith as they came from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and let them be a stern warning against anyone uh, committing such an act or uh, possessing such characteristics Imam Ahmed on this point mentions a number of hadith we should pass through them quickly that we should consider what is the meaning of these hadith uh, are these hadith meant to be a stern warning against such actions or do we understand that a person who does such a deed he becomes a kafir he says the saying of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam la tarji'u ba'di kuffaran dullalan yadribu ba'dukum riqab ba'd don't become disbelievers astray after me striking the necks of each other yani that the muslims after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he warned them against fighting one another and killing one another. This hadith is recorded in Al-Bukhari and is reported in Muslim, the Muslim Imam Ahmed and some of the other collections of hadith. Also, similar to this is the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, إِذَا الْتَقَى الْمُسْلِمَانِ بِسَيْثَيْهِمَا فَالْقَاتِلُ وَالْمَكْتُولُ فِي النَّارِ that whenever two Muslims meet with their swords drawn, then the one who killed and the one who is killed, both of them are in the fire. And this hadith is also reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim Abu Dawood and others. Similar to this is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, reported also by Al-Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him. He said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Fibabul Muslimi Fusuq wa Qitaluhu Kufra. Cursing a Muslim is wickedness or evil. And fighting with a Muslim is kufr, disbelief. Some of the scholars said that the people of Sunnah, the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah are in agreement, in total agreement, consensus. That the one who commits a major sin, such as fighting with a Muslim and so on, that the one who does such a thing, he is not declared to be a kafir. That is, one who has been removed from the Muslim ummah in totality. But such a statement that the one who commits a major sin is out of Islam is the statement of the Khawarij. stations. He is neither a believer nor a disbeliever, but they agreed with the Khawarij that the one who commits the major sin, even though he is not a believer or a disbeliever in this world, they judged that in the next life he would be eternally in the fire, as is the position of the Khawarij. But the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah say that the person who commits a major sin is not to be declared as, is not to be declared as a kafir who is totally outside of Islam. Because if it was so, that he was outside of Islam, then we would say that he is a murtad, an apostate, and in that case he should be killed according to the Islamic law, an apostate is killed. We could not accept, for example, that if someone killed another person, that's a major sin, if he is really out of Islam, he is an apostate, he should be killed, but in fact according to the Quran and the Islamic law, if someone kills another person, the family of that person might forgive that person and 
excuse them from being killed. They may take blood money or otherwise. So that the Islamic penalties would not be enacted on these people for committing illegal sexual intercourse, for stealing, for drinking wine or alcohol, etc. But in fact, they would be considered as apostates out of Islam and they should all be killed. This, of course, is clear, clearly false. It is incorrect and well known to those who know the Islamic Sharia and the sources of the Qur'an and authentic Sunnah. Also, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has classified those who committed a major sin to be still amongst the believers in His statement in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 178, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْقِصَاصِ فِي الْقَتْلَةِ الْحُرُّ بِالْحُرِّ وَالْعَبْدُ بِالْعَبْدِ وَالْعُنْثَى فِي الْعُنْثَى so he said that, oh, you who believe, it has been prescribed for you al-qisar. That is the law of equality and punishment. Nani, that if someone, uh, that the person who was killed, they should, someone should be killed. The free for the free, the slave for the slave, and the female for the female. Uh, so this makes us to know that this person, that these people are still considered to be believers. As Allah said, فَمَنْ عُفِيَ لَهُ مِنْ أَخِيهِ شَيْءٌ that is, then whoever is forgiven, the killer who is forgiven, min akhihi, from his brother. His brother is a believer. So how can he be his brother unless he also, even after committing the act of murder, remains part of the Muslim ummah and a brother in the brotherhood of Islam? Allah said that whoever is forgiven or pardoned by his brother, meaning his brother in Islam, then the compensation should be taken properly, ma'ruf or in the right way. Also, the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Hujurat, chapter 49, verse 9, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اِقْتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا That if two parties, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ of the believers, fight, then make peace between them. Even though they are fighting, Allah calls them as two parties, differing parties, opposing parties, but مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ of the believers. So they are still considered to be believers. So by the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the consensus, uh, it is proven that the fornicator or adulterer, the thief and so on, these people, the punishment for them uh, is according to what Allah has made yani in the prescribed uh, punishments and hudud. So this makes us to know that these people, uh, they are judged according to their crime and they are not killed as apostates. Also, the Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah in agreement that the people who commit such crimes, these major crimes or sins, that they are entitled to the threat, al-wa'id, that Allah has threatened them with in the Qur'an or that the Prophet ﷺ has threatened for such actions, for such sins or uh, commissions of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These threats have come in the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and we accept that they are entitled to such threat, it is a threat from Allah and His Messenger. We do not deny it, and we leave it, and we narrate it as it came in the Quran and the Sunnah, and we don't say, as the Murji'ah say, that these acts of sin or disobedience don't harm the person if he is a believer. Yani, they say that the one who believes, who has believed in his heart, and some of them said in his heart and on his tongue, he confessed it, even if he doesn't do any good deeds, even if he commits sins, there's no harm. 
uh, as long as he is a believer. But we say that in fact there is harm for him in committing such sins and that uh, the punishment and the threats have been narrated in the text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah which refute the statement of the Murjia and also which refute the statement of the Khawarij and the Mu'atazila. Also, Imam Ahmed mentions in this line the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam من قال لأخي يا كافر فقد باع بها أحدهما that whoever says to his brother Muslim, whoever says to his brother who is a Muslim, Ya Kafir, O disbeliever, then it returns back to one of them. That for sure one of them is a disbeliever. Either that one who he called a disbeliever is really a disbeliever, or his act of calling a Muslim a disbeliever is an act of kufr. So that means it came back to him. For sure, whoever says such a thing, then that kufr, it returns to one of them. That that one who he called it is really a kafir, or he himself committed an act of kuf. This is in line with those statements uh, of the Prophet ﷺ where he threatened and warned from such actions. A Muslim should never declare or call or judge another Muslim to be a kafir and such an act of takfir or declaring a Muslim to be a kafir is a very dangerous act and it is uh, from the actions of the Khawarij who used to declare the Muslims who committed sins as disbelievers and we found people today, so many of them whatever they may call themselves by whether they don't associate themselves with the Khawarij but yet they act like them in declaring the Muslims to be kafirs it is a dangerous thing that has to be warned against and we should know that Islam has a clear stand based on the Quran and Sunnah uh, for such a thing we should be careful from calling another Muslim a kafir also, the statement of the Prophet sallallahu that is reported in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed and the Sunan of Ad-Darimi uh, and As-Suyuti said that the hadith was Hassan and Al-Manawi in his sharh of the Jamia al-Saghir by Imam As-Suyuti also agreed with him and of the contemporary scholars Sheikh Nasruddin al-Albani also said that this hadith is Hassan or a good hadith the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Kufrun billahi that it is disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who denies his kinship or his blood relations, even if it is insignificant. That is, even if he thinks that the denial of his parentage or his blood relations, even though he thinks that thing is insignificant, but it is a great thing and a terrible thing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Kufrun billahi. We should be careful from such things and avoid such actions even if we say that these statements or these actions are the statements of kuf or the actions of kuf and we don't declare such a person as being a kafir but it is sufficient for us that we speak or we act as the disbelievers or the hypocrites speak and act. Then Imam Ahmed uh, closed by saying, after mentioning these number of hadith, he said, And other such hadith among those which have been considered to be or declared to be authentic and those which have been preserved or memorized by the scholars of hadith, there are many. What is our position? Imam Ahmed said, that verily we submit to them 
even if we do not know their explanation, we submit to them. وَلَا نَتَكَلَّمُ فِيهَا وَلَا نُجَادِلُ فِيهَا وَلَا نُفَسِّرُ هَذِهِ الْأَحَادِيثَ إِلَّا مِثْلَ مَا جَاءَتْ Or in another transcript of the book, it says, إِلَّا بِمِثْلَ مَا أو بِمِثْلِ مَا جَاءَتْ لَا نَرُدُّهَا إِلَّا بِأَحَقَّ مِنْهَا Or in one transcript it says, إِلَّا بِأَجْوَدَ مِنْهَا That we submit to these hadith, even if we don't know their explanation, or even if their explanations are not known, we do not talk about it, trying to uh, distort or, con- or confuse their meaning. We don't argue about it. We do not explain these hadith except with the like of what they, these hadith have come with. Yani except with similar hadith, which might be more clear, which bring clarity to these hadith. We don't explain them. La nufassiruha illa bimithla ma ja'at. Yani we only explain them with authentic hadith which have similar meaning but might be more clear and make them clear for us. وَلَا نَرُدُّهَا إِلَّا بِأَحَقَّ مِنْهَا And we do not reject them except with that which is أَحَقُّ مِنْهَا أَوْ أَجْوَدُ مِنْهَا And Allah knows best what is the meaning of this statement. Um, I'm uh, at a loss to explain the meaning of it, but it seems as though uh, we don't reject it except بِأَحَقُّ مِنْهَا أَوْ أَجْوَدُ مِنْهَا It may mean, and Allah knows best, that we do not reject such hadith except if we found hadith equally authentic or more authentic, which makes clear that what we might understand in those hadith is not the real understanding, but that clear and correct understanding came to us from the words of the Prophet ﷺ in hadith which are similar to them in authenticity or more authentic than them, and Allah knows best about this. We should make a note here before closing, as we are approaching the time of Adhan, that, uh, and this is the last point that we want to cover this evening, uh, that many people have occupied themselves with making rulings and judgments on other people, declaring them to be kafirs. Sometimes they didn't make any distinction between kufra amali, kufran amali, wa qawli, wa atiqati. They didn't make any distinction between the disbelief of actions the disbelief of speech, words of disbelief, or the disbelief of the aqidah, the faith in the heart. And there's a difference between the one who has kufr in his heart and the one who believes, though his iman might be weak or defective, and as a result he might commit some act, which is of the actions of the disbelievers, or he might say a word in his speech that is of the speech of the disbelievers. There's a difference between the kufr that someone uh, the act of kufr that someone commits while his, he has iman, though it may be defective or weak, or the speech of that one and the one who actually has kufr in his heart. They didn't make any distinction between the kufr al-ayn, kufr al-ayn, or kufr al-naw. That is the kufr. That is kufr in and of itself. Yani the person, he is a kafir from it. Or the kufr al-naw, it means yani, that it is a type he falls under the category of kufr, though we are not in the position to declare such a person as a, as a kafir. There is a difference between saying that a certain type of action or speech is an act or word of kufr, of disbelief. There is a difference between saying that and saying that a particular person is a kafir because he has said or done a certain act. We should be careful. The scholars are careful 
when they are asked about any action or word to say that this is a word of kufr, of disbelief, or this is an action of kufr, without actually declaring the person who said or did such an action as a kafir. Uh, we should be careful from falling into such actions because this is the way of the Khawarij, one of the greatest and the worst of the deviant groups of the early generations of the Muslims, and some of those people still remain until today, or at least some of their actions and their beliefs remain amongst some of the people today. Uh, a Sheikh Abdurrahman, Abdullah Abdurrahman ibn Jibreen, Hafizahullah, in his summary of this topic, he says that these hadith were used by the Khawarij to make, to declare the sinners or disobedient Muslims as kafirs. They said that the one who commits a sin, a major sin, he is removed from Islam and he enters into disbelief and they ruled that the people of Ma'asi, disobedience or dhunub, sin, or Al-Kabaya, who committed major sins, that these people will remain in the hellfire forever. The people from amongst the Muslims who committed sins, they said, the Khawarij said they will remain in the hellfire forever, and they use as proof these hadith which we mentioned, that the one who fights with a Muslim is a kafir, and the Prophet ﷺ said, don't uh, return after me to kufr, fighting or striking the necks of one another, and so on. They use these hadith as proof. Well, in fact, we say that uh, such actions of kufr and such actions of hypocrisy do not remove a person from Islam. Yani the person who breaks a promise, for example, is not removed from Islam. This is not hypocrisy in his heart. It is an action of hypocrisy. If someone is yani, distrustful or violates the trust and such other things, those who commit sins, whether major sins or otherwise, we do not say that such a person became a kafir for such a thing. Uh, so we say that the person who hears these hadith and these evidences, if he compares them with other proofs from the Quran and the Sunnah, then it will become clear to him uh, that we should accept these things, but we should not say that these actions or these words or these characteristics remove someone from Islam. And we should not say that he is not a Muslim, but we say that his affairs to Allah, Allah is the judge of that and Allah will judge him. Also, he, he closed by saying, such hadith are considered a hadith al-wa'id, the hadith of threat. The hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ threatened people for certain actions. The Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah say that these hadith are the hadith of threat. We understand them according to their apparent meaning. And we hope that such words would be a stern warning for people to avoid them. At the same time, we don't say that such an action removes a person from Islam, and we don't call such a person a kafir for such a sin, but we say that his deed is the deed of disbelief, or we say that his speech is the speech of disbelief. But as for the person, we don't say that he is a kafir, we make a distinction between the deed or the action and between the doer of that action. The actions may be of the actions of the disbelievers or the actions of the, of the uh, hypocrites, but it is not a necessity that because a person commits such an act or says such a word, it is not a necessity that every such person who does 
such an act that he is removed from Islam and becomes a kafir for his affairs with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we encourage such people to turn to Allah with tawbah and to correct themselves and to try to submit themselves in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In closing, just quickly, let me mention some of the rules related to a takfir or declaring someone a kafir. Some of those things that we should give careful attention to and we should remind one another and we should warn each other and we should inform others. Number one, that we should make a distinction between al-kufr al-amali or al-kufr al-qawli and al-kufr al-i'tiqadi. That we have to make a distinction between the disbelief in actions or speech and the disbelief in the heart where the person disbelieves in Allah. This is very important to make a distinction between these two things. Number two, that al-yaqeen, certainty that is Islam, is not removed from a person except by al-yaqeen, mislahu, that which is certain, yani, or something which is certain, certain, equally certain. So it is a necessity that the person who was a Muslim or who declared themselves to a Muslim, and we are certain that they are Muslim, in order for them to remove from Islam, be removed from Islam, they have to show kufr bawah, that is clear, undeniable kufr. Not something that it might be kufr, or it might not be, or such and such and so and so. And the same thing with shirk. Uh, it should be that which there is no doubt about it, and there is no dispute about it. It has to be clear kufr, and not something that is disputable or interpretable. The third rule is that if someone, if it's established that a person has done an act of shirk, clear shirk, or clear kufr, and there's no doubt about it, still it is a necessity that we must consider the person who does such an act. We must look to them, and we must see if the conditions, the shurut for declaring someone a kafir has been fulfilled in that person. And we must see if the mawani' or those prohibitive things which prohibit someone from being declared a kafir have also been fulfilled in that person. We have to look at the individual, even if it became clear that the act is a clear, undeniable act of kufr or, or shirk, still we must look to the one who has done such an act and make sure that the conditions have been fulfilled that allow a person to be declared a kafir and that the prohibitive things are not there which might prohibit such a one from being called a kafir, such as that person being ignorant. Yani being ignorant that this act is an act of kufr. Or that person has misunderstood, muta'awwilan. They have reinterpreted something in a wrong way, thinking because of their wrong interpretation that they are not committing an act of kufr or disbelief. We must be clear that these things are not the case. Or that the person has been compelled or forced to do such a thing, etc. We have to look and see what is the condition of that individual. Does he really know that this is kufr? Does he understand the reality of his act or his speech? Has he been forced to do it or is he doing it willingly of his own free will knowing what he is doing? This is a very important consideration that can only be established by examining the individual who commits such an act of clear kufr. And the last point or principle that is of utmost importance that the ruling or the judging of a person as a kafir requires that we must look to the judge, the one who has declared him a kafir. We must know, is that one who declared him a kafir? Is he ahlan lil hukum? Is he yani, uh, suitable and fit 
to be making such a judgment or not. Uh, and this such judgment is not for all individuals to make. It is not for everyone to make such a judgment, but it is only for those people who are fit and qualified and suitable to make judgments in such cases. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "إِذَا حَكَمَ الْحَاكِمُ فَأَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرَانٌ وَإِنْ حَكَمَ فَأَخْطَأَ فَلَهُ أَجْرٌ." This hadith is recorded by Al Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that the judge Al-Hakam, when he rules in a matter, if he is correct in his ruling, then he gets two rewards. And when he makes a ruling that he mistakes in it or is incorrect, then he gets one reward. So the one who is allowed to make such a ruling, whether he is correct or incorrect in his ruling, is the Hakam. And that Hakam should be a person who is qualified to make a ruling. It is a dangerous matter to be ruling in Islamic law in any matter and especially in the matter of declaring a Muslim as a kafir. The Prophet ﷺ warned us in an authentic hadith where he said, ﷺ, and that hadith is reported by the uh, Ashab al-Sunan, that is Abu Dawood and uh, Tirmidhi ibn Majah and so on, and the hadith is Sahih. He said, Al-Qudat Thalathatun, the judges are three. There are three types of judges. Beware from falling into this. Ithnan finnar. Wahidun fil Jannah. Two of those three will be in the hellfire, and one of them will be in the paradise. Rajulun arafa al haq fa bihi fil Jannah. One of them is a man who knew the truth. He has knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah and the Islamic Sharia, and he is qualified to rule. He knew the truth, and he ruled according to the truth of the Quran and Sunnah. Fahuwa fil Jannah. Then he would be in the paradise. As for the other two, رَجُلٌ قَضَى لِلنَّاسِ عَلَى جَهْلٍ فَهُوَ فِي النَّارِ A person who made rulings upon the people while he was ignorant, without knowledge, that person would be in the hellfire. وَرَجُلٌ عَرَفَ الْحَقِّ فَجَارَ فِي الْحُكُمِ فَهُوَ فِي النَّارِ And another one, he actually had knowledge, he knew the truth, عَرَفَ الْحَقِّ But he was wrong in his ruling, that is, he was oppressive, or he transgressed the bounds. He didn't rule according to the knowledge that he had, but he went outside of his knowledge and made a false ruling. And therefore that person also would be in the hellfire. If we are the people of knowledge that are qualified to make rulings, then we should look into the conditions and the proper procedure for making rulings, and particularly and especially for declaring a Muslim to be a kafir before making such a ruling, and rule according to the Quran and Sunnah, and if we are not of the people of knowledge, then we have no right to make a ruling, because the one who rules on ignorance, then he would be in the hellfire. وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ Let us seek refuge in Allah from speaking without knowledge, from declaring anyone a kafir, from acting without knowledge, from violating the laws of the Qur'an and Sunnah, abandoning the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Let us also seek refuge in Allah from ignorance, let us ask Allah to grant us the strength and the desire to seek knowledge properly from the correct sources, to have correct understanding of this deen, to practice that which we know and to call others to it. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any comments, or corrections, or questions, 
we have a few moments before the Salat, maybe two or three minutes. You may send your questions. Otherwise, Jazakumullah uh, Khair for your patience and listening. May Allah guide us. There are a number of questions here. May Allah help us. We will try to answer some of them. It is, is it permissible for the Muslim parents to deny their daughter who commit a sin by marrying a non-believer? No doubt, uh, the Muslim woman is not allowed to marry other than a Muslim. The Muslim woman is not allowed to marry anyone other than a Muslim. This is clear from the text of the Quran and the Sunnah and the Ijma of the companions of the Prophet and the scholars who came after them. This is indeed a sin, a major sin, and it is an ongoing sin because every time that woman lives with that man and speaks with that man, she is committing a sin. Not only the sin of marrying that man against the law of Allah, but also from committing a zina every time she is with that man who she considers to be her husband. In spite of that, and this is a very serious matter, in spite of that, it's not permissible for the parent to deny the daughter. That is to say that this is not my daughter, because this is denying nasab, and it is a major sin, as the Prophet ﷺ called it, kufrun billah, to deny uh, one's nasab, whether it's parents or children or relatives. What about if a Muslim leader calls for jihad against another Muslim country or Muslim people? Will all of the soldiers be in the fire? What about if a Muslim leader decides to kill entire villages and they are Muslims? Should the Muslim revolt against the leader? What about their status in hell or paradise? Okay, these uh, questions... um, They are, I think, answered already in our discussion. Uh, A Muslim leader who declares jihad against another Muslim nation, first of all, this is not jihad, because jihad, there's no such thing as jihad, Muslims against Muslims. Jihad is when the Muslim army stands on the battlefield facing the Kafir army, and that Muslim army is fighting for the establishment of the word of Allah, or the religion of Allah, and the Kafirs are fighting against that. This is jihad. Otherwise, it's not jihad. So there's no such thing as a Muslim leader declaring jihad against another Muslim country or Muslim people. As for those who will be in the fire, what will, will they be in the fire? The hadith is, as the scholars of Islam said, we take it as it came uh, when the Muslims, when two Muslims meet and they uh, raise, take their swords out or raise their weapons and point them at one another, then the one, the qatil and the maktul, both of them are in the fire. This is the words of the Prophet wasallam. And Allah is the judge. Allah is the judge. If he would uh, condemn such a person to the fire or not, that's for Allah to judge and we cannot make any judgment in such a matter. And I think the second part of the question answers the same. If a Muslim leader decides to kill entire villages, this is something, this is a major sin. It's a terrible act for a Muslim leader or any Muslim to kill other Muslims, especially entire villages. And should the Muslims revolt against the leader, what about their status in hell? Of course, uh, we, they shouldn't revolt against the leader, but they should disobey him. As the Prophet ﷺ said, um, لا طاعة 
لمخلوق في معصية الله that there is no obedience to any created being if it is in disobedience to Allah. So the order to kill Muslims is disobedience to Allah. So the Prophet said in that case we neither hear nor obey. We don't listen to what that leader says nor do we obey him but we don't revolt against him if you mean by revolt against him fight against him and kill him. Uh, many reverts have been disowned by their non-Muslim families. Many have no contact or, or, or want contact like their families don't exist. How does that relate to those who deny kinship blood relations? Yani, those people who embrace Islam, they were formerly from non-Muslim people and they embraced Islam. Uh, if they have been disowned by their non-Muslim families, well that is against their families. They have nothing to do with that. But just because their non-Muslim families disown them doesn't mean that they should cut off their ties with their family. But they themselves still should make the effort to keep ties with their families, with their parents, especially with their parents and their other family members in any way that they can try to keep good ties with them with the hope that perhaps Allah would uh, expand their hearts or incline their hearts towards Islam from the good actions of the Muslims and perhaps some of those people who disowned their Muslim family members might eventually come to Islam if the Muslims treat them kindly and keep relations with them. But we should not cut off contact with them and act as though they don't exist. And this is actually incorrect on the part of the Muslim. Uh, as for the Kafir, well, they don't know any better. We shouldn't act like them just because they act like that. We are guided by the Quran and Sunnah and they are in ignorance. So if they act ignorantly, we expect that. It doesn't mean that we then should act like them. A person commits a sin like several uh, sexual harassment. What is the judgment related for al-qisas in equal punishment? Hmm. Father, daughter, daughter, father, sinner. Um, I think if this, if the, the question means that the father harassed his daughter or any re- relative to another uh, person harassed them sexually or tried to commit some act, sexual act of any nature, then uh, this is something, I don't know if there's a prescribed punishment for such in the Islamic law. I'm not aware that there is and Allah knows best. But if there's no prescribed punishment in the Quran or Sunnah, then it is for the uh, Qadi to make uh, yani, the judgment in such a matter and to declare what the punishment should be for such a person. That's called ta'ziyah. When there's no prescribed punishment for an act, then the judge uh, considers the circumstances and prescribes the punishment uh, in that case. And that, if there's no prescribed punishment, that's what would happen. Allah knows that's what the judge would prescribe in the absence of there being something stipulated in the Sharia. Uh, who does the stoning? The stoning should be done by the Muslim people. According to some of the scholars, it should be done by the judge himself or by the Muslim leader. And there's some proof that the Prophet ﷺ had people stoned when he didn't participate. Allah knows best. Uh, in any case, it should be done by the Muslim people. Uh, if there were witnesses, the witnesses have the most right to do the stoning. Uh, otherwise, the, the judge or the Muslim leader has the most right to do it. Otherwise, he may appoint the people as the Prophet ﷺ collected those who were present and ordered them to stone the people who deserved stoning in his time. Uh, does this stoning take place in Qatar? If not, why? I don't think it takes place in Qatar and Allah knows best. I haven't heard that it takes place here. Um, and if it doesn't, um, also, um, I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, but we can say that much of the Islamic, uh, Islamically prescribed laws are not being applied in the Muslim world today in general. 
and probably the country where it is uh, most famous that such prescribed punishments are taking place is in Saudi Arabia and uh, today we are hearing about it in Afghanistan and perhaps also in uh, Sudan. Uh, those countries where it's not taking place, it is uh, yani, up to the rulers and the leaders and the scholars uh, to determine uh, why it's not taking place and to encourage it to be done as Allah has ordered it to be done. Okay, um, I think uh, uh, does this apply to both parties? You mentioned about the man who bear witness against himself four times. Well, it applies to uh, the case, as, as the scholars said and as is mentioned in the hadith, it applies to the case of the person who there's four witnesses against him or that they confess. If the man confessed, then he confessed against himself. If the woman didn't confess, then there has to be four witnesses against her, or she has to confess. Even Umar ibn Khattab, he said that this matter of the married person committing illegal sexual intercourse uh, is applicable in the case of the person who confessed, or the person who testified four times against himself, or, or I mean, uh, who wit four witnesses were brought against, or in the case of the pregnant woman pregnant woman. If there's, the woman is pregnant and she is not married and has not been married, then he considered this to be a proof against her for which she could be stoned. But many of the scholars differed with this and said that the general rule in the Islamic law, the Prophet ﷺ said the meaning of which is that as long as we can avoid punishing anyone, that is because there's even the least amount of doubt about that person's guilt, then we should avoid punishing them. So many of the scholars took this principle and said that it is not definite that because the woman is pregnant that she has committed zina, that perhaps uh, she could have become pregnant by the semen of some man yani accidentally or in some other way entering her womb. And Allah knows best, even though that may seem far-fetched, but the Muslim scholars said even if there is a slight possibility of doubt about her guilt, then she should not be punished. So that means then what we are saying here is that it should be by four witnesses or confession by the individual who is going to be stoned and not by the testimony of an, a single individual against another person. When are the lashings applied? Lashings applied in the case of the person, the unmarried person who commits zina, uh, then they should be lashed. According to some of the scholars, it's lashing and also that they should be banished from the land uh, in addition. And some said no, that only one of those punishments should be applied and Allah knows best. This is a matter of fiqh. And it requires uh, any, a lengthy discussion. But the lashings are applied in general to the unmarried person who commits illegal sexual intercourse. Is there a different view, punishment for non-Muslims? Uh, about the people of the book, we know that the punishment for them is the same, that the one who commits zina, the married person who commits zina, in their book it is reported that they should be stoned, and stoning of some people from amongst the Jews was enacted or implemented in the time of the Prophet ﷺ when they were brought to him for committing such an act and the Jews came and told him that the punishment for such an act was such and such and so and so other than stoning the Prophet ﷺ by revelation knew and he asked them to show them their book and it was pointed out to him the ayah of stoning in their book and therefore he enacted or implemented stoning even against the people of the book as for other than the people of the book Allah knows best I don't um, recall uh, what is the punishment for such um, if it is uh, the same as it is for the Muslims and the people of the book, the Christians and Jews. We can check, inshallah, and bring an answer in the next time we meet, bi'ithinillah. Evidence must be established by four witnesses, eyewitnesses, yes or no. Now, evidence has to be established for a person 
to be convicted and punished for zina and to be punished by stoning to death, it has to be established by four eyewitnesses. And of course, you may say that that's very difficult uh, to bring four eyewitnesses because even if someone witnessed such a thing, by the time they brought back three more witnesses, the people wouldn't be waiting for them to come and any witnesses so that they could be stoned to death. And Allah knows best that such a requirement is because of the severity of the punishment and that Allah doesn't want to leave the door open that people could be falsely accused or could be punished punished with such a severe punishment uh, except in the case where it was certain without any doubt and also because the one who commits such an act in such a manner, in such a place or time or way that four people could witness them, could eyewitness the actual act of zina then that person ought to be punished. I mean it means that they had no shame whatsoever even to hide uh, themselves in committing such an evil act. And Allah knows best. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. May Allah forgive us.